umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and up first we're going to talk about michigan's loss on the road to the nittany lions by a score of 28 to 21 clint what did you think about that game well it was disappointing you know um just like any loss, you know, we, we've got high expectations and uh, for the for the program and for this season. So uh, a loss is, is always disappointing. Um, I expected them to win that game, and uh, they played about as well as I thought that they would, but uh, just, just came up short. And, uh, you know, especially in heartbreaking fashion, you know, especially uh, – you know, sometimes I think that it would be easier to swallow a uh, a debacle like like last year in Columbus. You know, you you can kind of mentally tune out, or even comparing this year's uh, Wisconsin game to that, the Wisconsin game was easier to uh, to kind of swallow, I guess for me, just because you uh you know you you let go early, you know, but uh the the game like Penn State especially a comeback that falls short you know you, you lose twice <laughs> you're down twenty one to nothing you start to kind of feel resigned to uh to just being uh, upset and then you come back get your hopes up again and then get disappointed again at the end so yeah I felt like losing twice and uh, it was uh, it was a bummer well it's interesting you know when we broke down the Wisconsin game and and. Actually, even the Ohio State game last year, you know, I always say it's not always the loss, but it's how you lose, right? So mm-hmm. the thing that that really gave me hope in this game for the rest of the season is when it was 21 nothing, I really felt that, one, Michigan had actually played pretty well. Um, you know, they're, they're on the road. And when you're on the road, you you expect to not get calls, and that that happened. But in that at that point, I really felt like the season was teetering. You know, compared to the Wisconsin game, where when it was twenty-one nothing, I really felt the game was over, that Michigan was being dominated, and Wisconsin was really, uh, you know, the team was having its way. In the Penn State game, I thought Michigan was playing relatively well, but again, had had some breaks go against them, and uh, you know had a had a big uh, you know had that big play called back, which uh, which which I still scratch my head at that pass interference. Um, but but again, you know I know a lot of people want to want to blame the refs in this one. Um, you know, listen, Michigan was down twenty-one nothing. They battled back. They gave Penn State everything uh, they could. And in the waning moments of the game, they were first in goal with a chance to score. And, you know, one of the things or some of the things I took from this game is, first, Michigan, uh, you know, only had one turnover. And, and that was very nice to see. They dominated statistically. And, you know, I, I'll be the first person to say, listen, the most important statistic is the scoreboard. But considering the trouble that Michigan has had on the road, to come back from 21 down, battle back, and, you know, be in a position to tie the game, I I felt 
pretty good at this game. Now, again, I'm never going to be happy at a loss. You know, I, I've said a couple times this year I'd rather have an ugly win than a pretty loss. But this was about the, close, the closest thing that I could imagine to a loss that I actually feel hopeful heading into the, into the, into the rest of this season. Yeah, I, I think I can understand that uh, for sure. You know, a couple couple things. You know, I I still I I don't feel much different right now about what this team is or what I expected for the season. Um, again, it still feels like this team just got off to a slower start than than was necessary, and where where I thought that they would start to click and come together somewhere around the Iowa game at home. It, it seemed like maybe they, they clicked and kind of came together and had got some things figured out um, maybe at Illinois after that bad third quarter and then uh, another slow start on the road, but you played three pretty good quarters at Penn State. So it does seem like you're going from about, you know, 50-50 um, playing well or playing poorly early in the season to now you're about, you know, 75% playing well the last couple games, you know, but it's, that's not good enough to win big games on the road. So um, I I don't want to, uh, I don't ever want to imply that, uh, you know, mediocrity is okay. I expected, uh, I expected this to be the year that we were competing for uh, a big 10 title. So um, I I want to make sure that I'm clear about that, that level of disappointment. However, I, I, I'm still not writing off the entire season because I don't think that they're, um, performing to a level that is that far behind where I expected them. I, I think it's more that they're behind on a timeline as opposed to, right, that their ceiling is, is lower than we thought. I still think they are going to continue to improve and play well. So um, I had to kind of recalibrate my own expectations, but I I, I certainly, uh, all hope is not lost. Um, I, I, it's nice to kind of have uh, all three rivalry games still to uh, to emotionally stay engaged, both as a fan and, and as I'm sure the, the team and the uh, coaching staff um, can do. And, uh, you know, this is where uh, focusing on the next game and the next game is the most important game is, uh, is a benefit because if you look at it, if you zoom out and kind of look at the whole big picture, um, you know, you need a whole lot of help to try to reach your goals of, of winning a big 10 title. So all you can really do is focus on the next game and, and beat a top 10 team at home. And uh, it's also a, you know, a historic rivalry. So we'll, uh, I expect to see uh, an engaged team and, and fast start at home and uh, should be pretty exciting this coming weekend. So the disappointment I took from the Penn state game was in two main areas. And I really believe it was things we knew heading into the game. Um, you know, and, and unfortunately, we have seen the defense get gassed for big plays at times this season. So we saw that against Penn State. I kind of checked that box. The other thing is really one of the things that does concern me is, you know, we have trouble in short yardage situations. And, you know, I, I almost had wished that Michigan was first and 10 at the 15 going for that last touchdown or, or first and 10 at the 20 because when we were first in goal, that's when we've seen uh, you know this team struggle at the offensive line to, to move people. 
and also it seems like with the with the restricted field space the receivers don't seem to get as open as quickly or or uh you know able to get separation or speed in space as one of the things that Josh Gaddish has tried to do so I was disappointed by that but Clint I'll tell you so I have read a lot of the articles that were written by many of the people in the media all right and you know one of the things that some people in the media do is they pre-write their articles on what their expectations are so they will come in with a with a predetermined expectation they'll write a good chunk of their article and then they will you know modify it so they can get it right in on deadline right after the game and Reading some of the articles, the doom and gloom, I really questioned whether they were watching the same game as me. Um, it was almost like it was a, a pre-written article expecting a Wisconsin-like beating. And you know that a lot of people in the media were saying were expecting a blowout. And, and again, I just, listen, I'm disappointed at the loss. I'm as disappointed as anyone. But I keep coming down to that... Um, you know, there were some questionable calls, which you need to overcome as a great team. They overcame the calls. They overcame a 21-point deficit. And with time waning, they were in a position to tie the game. I thought it was a pretty exciting game, if nothing else. And, and again, I'm disappointed. But um, to read some of the headlines of Michigan comes up flat in another big game, I didn't think they were flat. Um, you know, and again, you know, I... I the most important statistic is the scoreboard. But if you look at practically every other statistic, Michigan dominated. Okay. I mean, they, they dominated time of possession, 37 minutes to 22. Um, they, they dominated total yards. They dominated passing. They dominated rushing. So it's weird because I wonder if some people, especially in the national media, didn't really watch the game and just watch the box score and saw, oh, Mich you know, again, I could envision, imagine that Ohio or Penn State scored 28 points and Michigan scored some touchdowns in the fourth quarter and, and just made it close in garbage time. That That isn't what happened here. So it's interesting because, you know, I was, I was hoping Michigan was going to win, pull this game out, but I was kind of dreading what it would mean if we lost. But I look at this loss, and again, I'll say it, I, I find a lot of reason to be hopeful. Um, you know, I'm disappointed that, you know, the Big Ten championship is is practically, uh, you know, impossible at this point. But I think Michigan is going to be competitive in every game this season, you know, on the rest of the schedule. And listen, they have a huge mountain to climb when it comes time to play Ohio State, but I feel pretty good about the next game, and uh, and uh, you know, looking at looking at the schedule, you know, the I believe that we saw a glimpse of the offense being what it what it is intended to be, um, and and again, I guess I it's it's odd that I find uh, you know a lot of hope in this last game, even if it was a loss. Now, one question I wanted to ask you, um, you know, does it seem? Do you think that? The referees, especially in these big games, um, should be held accountable or should uh, at least give an explanation for what they saw on some plays. Um, how do you think that the Big Ten or the or the um, 
you know, that the NCAA could handle that perhaps better than it's handled now. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that adding a level of accountability for the officials is, is important. I just, I think that they're easily swayed by a home crowd or, or a big, uh, a big environment. I think that the home team and I think Michigan benefits from this at the big house. Um, I think that those calls are always going to go the home team's way or almost always. It, it's just, it happens too frequently for it not for it to be a coincidence. So I think it's important um, to add a layer of accountability for the officials for sure. Now, with that said, I, um, whatever model was chosen, I I think um, my personal preference would be just, just have an evaluation, a set of criteria that the uh, conferences or that the NCAA, um, some standards that are in place and they're publicized and everybody knows how officials are being graded and then publishing the results, not necessarily week to week right after the games when uh, fans and coaches are out for blood, but uh, maybe, you know, uh, releasing grades, overall grades uh, halfway through the season, then at the end of the season or, or, or some kind of, you know, maybe quarterly through the season. Um, and just like anything else, you're going to, whatever you measure, that's what you're emphasizing. That's what you're going to get. So if you're measuring the officials performance, they, uh, their focus will change and and, and they'll sharpen. And, uh, a lot of the 50, 50 calls, um, probably will go back to, um, kind of what they see and, and their interpretations of the rules as opposed to, well, it's a toss up, I guess I'll go with the home team which i think is is just kind of the human nature of what we what we deal with um especially in college football so that's my own personal take on it if, if i was uh you know you know the czar of college football for a day that's that's how i would do it is publish the standards um tell everybody how you're going to score the officials so they know going in and then publicize um the the grades or the the scores on a regular basis, but I would not do every week so that immediately fans and coaches are diving in to try to tear officials apart. I think you got to be, you know, respectful of the job that they do and, and they're human as well. So, but if you measure it and just like anything else, if you measure it, it will improve just because you're looking at it and, and they're going to want to do a good job. So it's, and again, you make a good point and I agree with you that when Michigan is at home, they get the advantage or have the advantage of having calls go their way. And that's what I said. Generally, when you go on the road, you expect that to be against you a little bit. And again, mm-hmm. Michigan plays the majority of their games at home, so they definitely mm-hmm. are the beneficiary of it. But, you know, I've been pretty clear that on both sides, it, it seems wrong to me that the coaches are contractually obligated to come out and talk to the media. And you can tell that it is, you know, Jim Harbaugh's probably least favorite thing to do in the world, um, short of a root canal, right? But again, he's making millions of dollars and he is held accountable and he comes out and answers sometimes some pretty, you know, interesting questions, right? And then you have, you know, 20, 21-year-old, you know, young men who are not professionals, who have to come out and 
um, explain their failures, their mistakes in front of the entire world. And, and again, I'll tell you, it's one of the, it's one of the most difficult things that, that we do is to actually, you know, sit across from somebody and, you know, an example like, like Ronnie Bell, right? I mean, he feels bad enough and yet, you know, he will be out there talking about it. Other players will be talking about their failures. And yet the referees who are grown men and, you know, many have been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years, don't have to come out and explain what they've seen. And, and, and I want to be clear, listen, you know, at all levels, officiating is difficult. High school, pro, college, officiating is very difficult. They are under a microscope the same way the players are. Um, with the games being televised, you have multiple angles of every play. They're under more scrutiny than ever. And, you know, I, I'm not calling for, you know, a, a public flogging of, of every time an official makes a mistake. Mm -hmm. But, for example, on that, that offensive pass interference on Nico Collins, I would love for the ref to tell me what he saw because I've seen that play from multiple angles. And, uh, you know, I, I've, uh, you know, I've gone to the point of I pull that play out and I showed it to three or four different people who have seen a ton of football and it was split right down the middle what the call was. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So, again, I would love to know, like, and for example, OK, like sometimes you will see a call. OK, say, for example, and I'm not saying it happened in this game, but. Let's say that Nico Collins is is hand checking on five straight plays, right? Mm -hmm. And then they and then they flag this play. Okay, I can understand that, right? You know, there are times where players, you know, you you push it, you push it, you get called for something, and maybe you get called for the most not the most egregious example, but you've earned it, okay, in some way. I would love to, just the same way the players come out and say, "Hey, this is what I saw." Um, you know, uh, um, Major League Baseball provides a pool umpire who will who will answer questions. Right. So um, it would be interesting to me, especially, you know, as we get into the Big Ten season for the official or the head of officials to say, hey, this is what we you know, here are the five calls that there were questions about. I mean, let's talk about one that is, you know, really egregious. OK, Shea Patterson was. Sure looked like targeting to me as he slid in on the one play, helmet to helmet, okay? You're supposed to be protecting the players. No explanation, no flag, no anything. Then later in the game, um, you know, and, and we have photos of it on the site, he's getting his eyes poked out, and he and Jim Harbaugh are talking to the refs, and there's there's no call. It's just kind of a shrug of the shoulders. So for me... There's definitely a time where the crowd definitely influences referees, but the thing that the referees and the coaches are supposed to hold paramount is protecting the players. And when I see, you know, the, the, the play where Shea slides and gets, you know, again, looks pretty targeted to me. Okay. And then, and then the eye gouging. Uh, and again, Clint, we all know that that stuff happens in the, in the pile. Okay. But there's a certain point where there has to be, uh, a level of decorum where you protect your players and, and it's supposed to be both player, both sides players. It's not one team or the other. So it, it's, it really bothered me watching this game that, 
it definitely looked like uh, things were a little loose and wild out there. And, you know, I, I would I would love an explanation. Um, you know, one of the things that um, Mark Cuban used to talk about when he um, became an owner in the NBA is, you know, you can go back years ago and pull articles where he would actually have people running stats on the referees. So they would know what kind of game to expect from ref to ref, right? And uh-huh. I think um, he talks about it much less now, and I think that that's partly due to, hey, they've won a championship, and and he's now become you know a, a more statesmanlike owner in the NBA, right? But in the beginning, he used to complain about the officiating, how statistically biased it was all the time. And with these games becoming larger and larger and the specter of um, gambling and all kinds of other things, I think you really do need to look at these refs. And, you know, so the question I have, Clint, do you think it's time for the NCAA to consider full-time referees as part of being held accountable? I think that helps improve it right away. I, I do. I think if they're, uh, if their job security is tied to performance, which is what, you know, how you would treat a full-time referee or, or a refereeing crew, then, um, again, your, your measure, your measurement, your standards mean more if they are, if that's part of their full-time job, if it's a side gig and, you know, why would you sign up for the, that additional stress of trying to escape from state college, you know, un, unharassed because you, you, you made a call a certain way. I, I just think the human nature part of it is a big deal with the home team advantage and, um, you know, the specter of, uh, you know, whether or not there are other uh, financial considerations or, or, or other ways of uh, other pressure that can be put onto uh, the officiating crew is just, you know, you don't need those questions. You don't need those questions. You, all of those variables should be, uh, should be removed or it should be the goal of the NCAA to try to remove as many of those variables as possible. And I think um, full-time employment, similar to how the NFL, um, you know, uh, employs their referees would be, uh, would be a benefit. It's, it's a bigger challenge, obviously, because you have 32 teams in the NFL, that's 16 games as opposed to 130 (laughs) division one FBS uh, programs, making 65 games. Uh, nationwide so it's a bigger workforce it would be you know it would come with a whole different list of challenges but it's a it's a step it it, it would be a step and and would help improve the game um the product from the fans perspective and again eliminate some variables to where we we could stop having these conversations nearly as often you know we the last thing that you want is for the game to end up being about the officials you know it should be about the teams, the programs, the players, right? It should be about uh, the competition. It should be about the plays that were made, the plays that weren't made. If it can't, if it comes down and, and the officials are part of the story, then then that's a failure uh, of the system, I think. Well, and you know, one of the things I'm disappointed by is that um, this summer, when the NFL was negotiating with the um, NFL Referees Association, they've actually made a move to get rid of full-time officiating uh, referees after they had moved to doing it. 
And part of it is is a negotiating tactic. We'll see what actually happens. But it's kind of disappointing because I thought that they were moving in a in a positive way and that usually that's the pattern for the NCAA. So hopefully um, sanity will will return and, and they will, you know, go back to that. So but enough complaining about referees and uh, Michigan's unfortunate loss to Penn State. How do you feel about Michigan heading into this big nighttime game versus Notre Dame? Well, the the biggest thing for me um, as we transition from Penn State into the Notre Dame game is making the big plays that matter when they matter. I just I don't remember the last time that we had um, an offensive unit or offensive or defensive unit or any particular player. Um, that, that really seemed like repeatedly stepped up and met the challenge in the biggest spots over and over and over again. I, I, I think Denard um, throughout his career stepped up in those big spots um, consistently, not maybe not a hundred percent of the time, but consistently when there was a play that needed to be made, um, he made them uh, going back to, uh, you know, Braylon Edwards, uh, in the early 2000s, especially um, the, the comeback win on Halloween over Michigan State in 04. But more recently, in, in the Rich Rod and then Brady Hoke era, and then in this uh, beginning of the Jim Harbaugh era, I, I just I, I haven't felt like that that comfort level of, okay, we need a play. This is when I expect to see this guy, this player, this unit, this particular thing, this this base play, something, something that we know, you know, that that this is what we can rely on in a big spot, and, and that's what showed up in the in the data as well. You know, I I, I was kind of grinding my teeth over here as you were mentioning about how Michigan dominated statistically against Penn State because the the box score. Um, that looks at the five factors. Penn State, um, by my numbers, dominated the the five factors. You know, only success rate went Michigan's way. Everything else went to Penn State. Explosiveness, yards per play, ISO PPP, field position, finishing drives, turnovers, penalties. Everything went Penn State's way, which means the critical plays, the ones in the high leverage spots, went went their way. And, and that uh, it was close. Every single one of those was close. So marginally, of course, it was a very close game. But it, it's in those absolutely key moments that we, we just have to establish a, a winning culture to where somebody's going to step up and make those plays. And um, it, let, let's look at K.J. Hamler and, and what he did on Saturday. Um, you know, the two long touchdowns, um, you know, are, are just pure, um, you know, unadulterated speed, and he runs by our defense and, and takes the top off. But more than that, it's it's that fourth touchdown when Michigan is kind of clawing back into it, right? It, it was just a huge moment at the beginning of the fourth quarter. All the momentum is going to Michigan's way. Penn State ran 22 plays in the entire second half. I mean, Michigan ran 21 in the fourth quarter. And they doubled the amount of plays that Penn State ran in the second half. So 
when they had their opportunities, they, they cashed in. And, and the last sequence of the game, the unfortunate, you know, uh, mishap, the drop in the end zone by Ronnie Bell, um, is an example of just not quite making the play when, when we needed it the most. And then three plays later on third down and four, you hand the ball off to a 175 pound guy to get four yards off tackle. And uh, he runs through a tackle and falls forward and, and gets exactly the uh, four yards that he needs. You know, that's the difference. That's the difference. One guy made the play. The other guy did not make the play. There, that's the cleanest comparison of why Penn State won that game and Michigan did not. It's not about those plays in particular. It's certainly you know not just those those players. You know, I, I certainly don't hang this on Ronnie Bell. He played his played his heart out and, and played very very well. But culturally, we need guys that are going to step up and make those plays in the biggest moments receivers that are going to catch the ball on third down and, and running backs that are going to fall forward for the extra two yards you know because they're six feet tall um and, and guys on defense that that are going to make the tackles and, and drive guys backwards and, and do the tiny little things that end up adding up to make the difference and i think I still believe that this team is capable and will end up being very good at this level of detail. I just hope that it is in time to, to still salvage um, the amount of success that, that we want to have in this season. And I certainly hope that we can put it together and, and obviously really slay the dragon that, that that's still waiting for us at the end of the season. So I don't want to bag on Ronnie Bell either, but I also, you know, one of the things that disappointed me about that sequence is, you know, they're first and goal. It's not just Ronnie Bell. You had Mm -hmm. other chances. And for me, that was the really disappointing thing about about that lack of touchdown, right? Is, you know, it's easy for everybody to to look and say, oh, Ronnie Bell should have caught the ball. Well, you know what? You had three plays before that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... Like I said, the I felt badly, you know, I had a bad premonition when we were first in goal because we have seen um, the offense in general struggle at that time. And like you said, you know, you got to, you know, what disappoints me wasn't that we missed it on fourth down, but gosh, we had four downs and we couldn't get, you know, a handful of yards. And, mm-hmm. and that is the real you know, give all credit to Penn State for, for the big stop at, in that point. Um, and, yeah, maybe Ronnie Bell could have caught it. But, again, there were three other plays, right? So mm-hmm. it's I think that, you know, a lot of the venom that was directed at, at Ronnie Bell is, is really misplaced. It's frustration for the last couple years and definitely frustration in that game. But, gosh, guys, you, you know, and that's the thing, you know, I, I, I mentioned before. Unfortunately, we'd seen the defense get gashed, right, at, at bad times. And we've seen the offense struggle. And it, like you said, you can have a really nice drive, but if you don't convert, you you know, you failed. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like, um, you know, the stats I pointed out are the silly stats, right? The Oh, you had a lot of yards, but it doesn't matter if you go 70 yards and don't score, especially at that point. So, um, 
that is that is definitely something that's disappointing now. But turning to Notre Dame, we are at home. I do expect to get more calls. Um, and if if we can, you know, and I would say this for the rest of the year, but especially, you know, as Jim Harbaugh says, our most important game is the next one. You know, cut down on the turnovers. They had one turnover against Penn State. Now, I know there are people who say that's one too many, but that is a, a much better trend than what we'd seen in the first half of the season. So I feel that the combination of being back at home, where Michigan generally plays better, and uh, you know the, the beginning of success, I would say, that we've seen from the offense, I, I'm really you know, expecting a, a, not a huge victory, but, a, but a, you know, point-wise, but a, a victory. And um, I think um, some of the stats that you pointed out in the SP Plus uh, mentioned um, are actually kind of trending in a similar way. Yeah, I, like I said, I think that it feels like the things are coming together um, and, and trending positive. I, absolutely, and I have, I, I've got some confidence going into this game that you know uh, Michigan's favored in SP plus by uh, four points, and uh, right now they are um, they are typically on average are, are performing about one point worse than the SP plus projection. Uh, at home and uh, about three and a half points worse on the road. So um, things are pointing towards Michigan being able to win this game. They just have to make the plays when it matters the most. Um, just to, to clarify, I, I, I only used the end of game scenario for my, for my previous point because it was so such a stark contrast with the fourth down drop and, and Hamler making the play on third down to, uh, to ice the game. Again, it had nothing, you know, it, it's not about that, that particular play or, or certainly Ronnie Bell at all. And I, I agree with you and want to echo what you said about some of the, some of the, the, the venom from the fan base towards, uh, players that, that certainly are, you know, feel, um, the disappointment that we feel as a fan base times, you know, hundred or, or a thousand or however you want to try to quantify it so it's it's really inexcusable some of the stuff that that we read and, and made the national media but um the stuff like that can kind of bring bring the team together also you know picking up uh, ronnie bell as teammates and as friends uh, you know coaching staff as leaders um that could be something that they rally around certainly something that uh I expect to see Ronnie Bell rally and, uh, you know, grow and, and mature and, and just be that much harder and that much tougher um, for the rest of his career. So I expect to see him uh, play um, one of his best games this coming uh, this coming week. So um, it's going to be I, – I definitely expect Michigan to win. I think this is going to be very close. I think uh, when we talked about this uh, game in the preseason – I kind of said you could probably copy and paste the uh, the effort from Happy Valley into this game against Notre Dame. Um, if the, if they had played poorly and gotten blown out, I think everybody would have been kind of sad sack and and you know complaining and and down in the dumps and and probably would be setting up for a big loss. But I think if we uh, if we duplicate the effort that we saw in Happy Valley uh, again this week 
then I think uh, I think you win the game. The, the biggest thing I think working in favor of the Irish is that they they had a bye. They're going to be uh, you know as healthy as they've been since uh, since camp. They're going to probably get their 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 first or second running back back uh, to play in this game. They're going to have a corner who had a dislocated elbow a few weeks ago that's going to be back for this game. So they're going to be healthier than they have been. You know, they had two weeks to prepare. They're going to try to duplicate some of the big playability that Penn State has shown. So um, it's a pretty big challenge. But I, I expect to see Michigan fire on all cylinders uh, right from right from the get-go. And um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Michigan to win a close one. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.